such a pleasure. Thank you. You know those people whose names just keep coming up in your life? You know the people you just keep meeting, your paths keep crossing randomly and perhaps seemingly unconnected. Well, today's guest is one of those people for me. I first met Yuri Fulmer back in 2007 when I was a bright-eyed university student studying accounting and finance. Bless that little baby soul I was back then. <laughs> back then, I had the pleasure of representing my university in a business simulation competition at Capilano University. And along with three other classmates, we competed against other universities across our province. For the weekend, I was the CEO and we had a business to grow and run. The experience was exciting, expansive, scary, and way outside my comfort zone. And an incredible learning opportunity. Well, I'm sad to say my team did not win. I came away with a lot of lessons for life, business, and leadership. See, my role had been the CEO within our team, and we were given a mentor for the weekend. The CEO mentor I got? An award-winning big city entrepreneur named, you guessed it, Yuri Fulmer. The advice Yuri gave me that weekend stuck with me, and I've never forgotten it. He inspired and taught me a lot. And then I went back to my small town, back to busy life as usual, ready to integrate those lessons at work and at home. A few years later, in Fort McMurray, Alberta, at a town council meeting, our paths crossed again. I was supporting the Fort McMurray downtown vision for our community, and Yuri was representing one of his businesses. We briefly reconnected, albeit we were on what you might call opposing sides of this argument and the proposed plan. It's pretty cool to get to fast forward to today, where I have the pleasure and opportunity to interview and most of all share Yuri's wisdom, humility, and graciousness with you, my friend, on Golden Girls Podcast. So now you've heard a little bit about Yuri in my life, but let me tell you about Yuri and his life. Yuri has been building businesses since his early 20s. Having arrived from Australia a few years earlier, it all began for him when he was faced with the unexpected opportunity to buy a local franchise while working for A&W. Since then, Yuri has grown that single A&W franchise into dozens, building a $60 million business portfolio by the time he was 30. In 2010, Yuri founded Fulmer Capital Partners, now called Fulmer & Company, to continue doing what he does best, helping businesses grow. Currently, Fulmer & Company owns and invests in a collection of companies in the hospitality, business-to-business, -business, manufacturing, construction, digital technology, and consumer service industries. Serving the local community has also been an important part of Yuri's work and life. And in fact, that is how I had the opportunity to meet Yuri all those years ago, by him giving back and serving university students like myself. Over the years, he's been actively involved in local nonprofit, educational, and arts organizations, and he serves as an accredited director on a number of corporate and civic boards. In 2019, Yuri established the Fulmer Foundation to take Fulmer and Company's community investment to the next level. Now, all this is pretty dang impressive, and as you can probably imagine, Yuri's contributions do not go unnoticed. He's been recognized in a lot of places. Canada's Top 40 Under 40, the BC Community Achievement Award, the Spirit of Vancouver Award, the Queen's Diamond Jubilee Medal, and the Order of British Columbia, which is our province's highest honor, given to Yuri for his dynamic entrepreneurship and committed volunteerism. 
Wow, that's a very impressive list. And away from the office, you can find Yuri enjoying the great outdoors, fishing, diving, canoeing, kayaking, climbing, and exploring. Or, you know, if he's really deep in there, we may not find him at all. Yuri was so generous with his time and a huge wealth of knowledge. So we've broken this conversation down into two episodes. This first episode is all about Yuri's entrepreneurial journey. So you're going to hear about how he went from his initial goal of wanting to have a corporate career to eventually owning his first franchise and creating a business generating over $60 million in revenue annually. You'll learn about the moment that made him slow his growth and how he got to today, leading Fulmer & Co., investing in private through private equity and venture capitalism. You're going to learn a simple exercise Yuri did to figure out what he should actually do with his life and work and business. And it's one that you can do too if you're feeling like you're in a place where you want to pivot or make some changes in your career or business. Yuri shares the advice he wishes everyone had that he had and how he envisions our system supporting entrepreneurship better for all people. You're also going to hear incredible insights for life success. What I love most about this episode and about Yuri is that he is real, he is honest, and he doesn't sugarcoat about how hard entrepreneurship really is. Like I said, Yuri had so much good stuff to share that we had to split it into two episodes. And in the next episode, we talk about everything venture capitalism and private equity related. So if you're interested in learning more about that, I know you're going to love the next episode as well. This one though, this is all about success. Success in business, in life, and beyond. Even if you're not an entrepreneur, I know you're going to find this episode incredibly inspiring. If you're anything like me, after listening, you'll be excited to continue to be the best and to do good in the community around you too. My friend, enjoy this episode of Golden Girls Podcast with Yuri Fulmer. Welcome to the Golden Girls Podcast, where we believe you can have it all. I'm your host, Lisa Michaud, and I'm spilling tangible tips, goal-getting strategies, and real-life stories to inspire you to tackle your biggest dreams. You're a woman who knows you're made for more. Get ready to leave the excuses and self-doubt behind by being vulnerable, sharing your truth, and having honest conversations so you can succeed on your terms. Together, we'll set goals you'll actually achieve by staying motivated, having fun, and building a community of women empowering women. It's time to tap into your best self, get confident, and truly have it all. Golden Girl, let's dive in. Hello, Golden Girls, and welcome to this episode of our Golden Girls podcast. I'm so honored to be joined here today with Yuri Fulmer. And I mean, he's got a super impressive biography, but just as a human, he's even more impressive. So Yuri, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me, Lisa. This is going to be fun. We were just chatting before we hit record. Yuri and I go way back, like 15 years ago, which is pretty crazy. Um, and I first met Yuri in a competition at Capilano University where he was a mentor for all of us uh, that were playing the CEO role in our business simulation. And I just want to say this, you know, with Yuri here hearing me, um, one of the pieces of advice he gave me as a CEO that weekend was to listen to what people want to do and like to do in their roles, but also pay attention to what they're actually good at and where their skills at. And that's a piece of advice that has stuck with me. It's been 15 years now. It's something I have never forgotten to look at both like the human and the capacity, but also what the business needs are. And I'm definitely, am not 
perfect at implementing that advice, but it's something that's forever stuck with me. Um, and just the way that, you know, your, your advice was both practical and people-based is something, and your way of leading is something that's always stuck with me. So I just want to say thank you for that. And, you know, I know you care a lot about the community. Um, you make a difference. You really do. Thank you. That, that's sweet. That's lovely of you to remember. And uh, that was a really fun weekend with a lot of amazing young people who had uh, big, big aspirations in life and big aspirations to help others and to lead teams. So oh, that stuff is always such a pleasure. Uh, well, it doesn't happen without people that are willing to step in and mentor and yeah, and, and it doesn't go for nothing. I know giving up a weekend is, is a big deal, um, but it, it left a lasting impression on me and I know many others as well. So, so thank you. Thank you. Um, so I want to start out. I mean, obviously you have a very impressive entrepreneurial journey and story. Can you walk us through that? You know, coming to Canada, did you know you wanted to be an entrepreneur? Or did you ever envision you'd be where you are today? And what did that look like? No, not at all. Uh, like I'm a total accidental entrepreneur. Uh, I, like I, I guess when I went to school, like high school, I guess, you know, I had friends who had parents in business. Uh, my dad owned a little retail shop. So I guess he was an entrepreneur. I never thought of it that way. I thought my dad owned a shop. Um, uh, but uh, you know, nobody ever talked about entrepreneurship. So, you know, I moved a bunch of years ago and I have that box of stuff that we all move from every move, right? And it's got you like your high school report cards and your life-saving certificate and your blood type and everything's in that box. So I found that box, opened it up and it was a book they gave us in grade 11 and it was the book of every job you could have, right? So, and what you had to do to get it. So, you know, we were all planning our careers. So it was that if you want to be a doctor, you've got to get these grades and go to, you know, do an undergrad and then go. To, and like this book was full of everything from doctor, lawyer, to secretary and assistant, you know, veterinarian kind of thing. But there was nothing in that book about entrepreneurship or being in business for yourself. Nothing, like not a word. There wasn't even a category called business person. It was doctor, lawyer, accountant uh, and, and other stuff. And I remember thinking when I was flipping through this that I've never had a job that was in that book. Now, I was an early entrepreneur. I actually haven't had a job in a long time. But even when I had jobs, none of them were in this book. And as I sort of think through my friends and acquaintances, other than the few of them who are doctors and lawyers and accountants, most of the people I know don't have jobs in this book. So, you know, we set people up in life with this limited number of things you can be, and we forget to tell them about all of the, the things that, that even exist today, let alone the things that don't exist today. So we do a really poor job of setting people up. And I think I was the casualty of that. So, you know, I came to Canada, went to university. University didn't really stick for me. So I uh, dropped out and got a job. Um, and it, it totally came to me by accident. I was working for a company that uh, ran a lot of corporate restaurants and they decided to franchise the corporate restaurants and make the franchises available to those of us who worked for the company first. So, and it was, you could become a franchisee or you could become unemployed were sort of the options. Uh, and so like I actually was picking unemployment and was going to go off and do something else somewhere else. And I'd always thought, you know, like, you know, you work hard and you become a manager and you work hard and you become a senior manager. And, you know, one day once somebody will make me a vice president or something. Um, never, ever occurred to me uh, to be self-employed. And uh, I, my boss at the time uh, came and sat me down and said, Yuri, when in life have you ever going to be trained to do a business that somebody is then going to sell you 
Like it doesn't come along very often, right? Most people go into business for themselves doing something they might love, but not something they actually know anything about doing. This is the opportunity for you to do that. And he said, I think you'd be nuts to pass on it. So bless his heart. Uh, and thanks 25 years ago for that advice. Um, you know, I went into business for myself, like not knowing anything about it, not knowing what that meant, not knowing what that journey meant. Um, but it's been the rest of my life and I feel totally blessed by it. So it's, it's created a life for me that I didn't know existed. So. Wow. That's really inspiring. Cause I think, uh, most of the business podcasts I listen to are always like, oh, I, I was an entrepreneur for, as soon as I came before I was even conceived, I was just an entrepreneur. I came out selling lemonade out of the womb and uh, people always have like these business ideas in high school and, and like that never has really resonated with me. So I really appreciate hearing stories from accidental entrepreneurs because I was kind of the same. I always flipped through the books and my parents like really were pretty, you know, wanted me to follow some straight lines. Um, and I think we just need to hear more stories of people that, you know, didn't dream of being entrepreneurs forever and, and success stories of people doing really well uh, in business, even though it hadn't been on their radar. So thanks for, for offering a different perspective there. Yeah, so, no worries. I, you know, I even think for me, I'm not sure I considered myself an entrepreneur for a, a whole bunch of years after I was technically in business for myself. Like I kind of sort of saw myself on this path of being maybe self-employed, but not on an entrepreneur. I, sort of thought I was following a path that somebody had laid down for me. So what was the path? So you, you bought the first franchise. It was a little A&W franchise uh, in New West in a food court. There were uh, nine of us, including me. We wore a lot of polyester. Uh, we made teen burgers. Uh, the plan, I think we were supposed to do 340,000 in revenue that year. And I don't think we made it. Like, I think we, we hit a bump and fell a bit short. But, uh, you know, we had fun. It was a good team. Um, you know, and that was the beginning. Like, I, I didn't think much beyond that. So what made you go from one franchise to then starting to think beyond that? Because there wasn't a path that you could follow. Like, how, what did that look like for you to, to expand? Yeah, so and came along and suggested I could buy another one. So, and I thought, oh, okay. You know, I guess I hadn't kind of thought of that. And how would I go about doing that, right? Like, how would I run that? And how would I make that work? And then, you know, then you start to need, a team, right? Like, okay, then I'd have to hire people. And what would that look like? Uh, and then it starts to snowball. Uh, and then the, the minute you sort of take yourself out of the, I am required to stand behind this counter in order that customers get served. And whatever that means, right? Like for me, that meant literally standing behind a counter, make sure, but whether that's you're answering the phone or you're making muffins in your kitchen or whatever it is that your business is, when you, it's that moment you get out of the mindset of I am integral to the customer relationship that I think you start to begin to think bigger. I think to me, that's the moment of entrepreneurship, right? Rather than I'm just a self-employed person. The moment of entrepreneurship is this could be bigger than just me, right? This isn't just about me and a couple of folks serving people. It's about me creating a business. And mm -hmm. I, that, that was my, my sort of switch point of, okay, this is now might be entrepreneurship. What inspired that business, you know, like sort of business writ large. What was that moment for you? Was it that moment of going one, one to two or two to 10? Or when did you hit that? Yeah, it was probably in the two to four range. Like it was because that's the moment where you just can't do it yourself. Right. Like, you know, that second location was about a 20 minute drive from the first one. So you literally cannot do it yourself. Right. Like you, you can't be in two places at once. And if, even if you're what, 
it's just firefighting. You can't even get between the fires fast enough. So now you're really sort of relying on others. And to me, that's, you know, that's the business, right? Like that's when you're now in business and not just in the service of your customers. So you eventually grew that into dozens of franchises and a $60 million business portfolio. Yeah. So I, you know, the NW business today, so we're, I think we're 36 locations today. Uh, at one point, you know, there was also 32 pizza huts in there. We owned the Mr. Mike Steakhouse chain uh, for a while. And that was sort of 22 locations. Uh, at, you know, I'd say when we had all of that and we were growing pretty rapidly, um, you know, those are, there were some tough times in there too, right? Like, you know, everybody, every business person will tell you the stories of the good days, right? When things were successful and we grew and more revenue and new products and getting on the shelves of forever and everybody's got the great stories. Um, you know, I'd tell you that there were years where every night I did math on the ceiling in my bedroom to make sure the payroll had cleared. Right. And okay, if we do these sales tomorrow and I make a bank deposit at the end of the day tomorrow, because payroll clears at midnight. So as long as I get the bank deposit in before the bank closes, then payroll will clear. And what if it doesn't, then maybe I could, you know, cash advance my credit card. And, and you know, any entrepreneur who hasn't had some of those experiences, I don't know that they're telling you the full story. I mean, I guess some people get lucky, but you know, I think most people have more stories like that than they do stories of, you know, every day is a, you know, sunny day and better than the last one. It's a tough go. Being an entrepreneur is a tough go. Yeah, I I agree. I, I think that um, entrepreneurs having kind of a sexy moment out there, like a lot of people now want to be entrepreneurs or TikTok stars, one of the two. Um, and I just see it's honestly, it's one of the hardest things I've ever done. And I haven't even done, you know, a fraction of the kind of the vision that I, that I want to do. And it's so hard, like business and children, like those two, I feel like are so much better than any personal growth course or a therapy, or like, it is just trial by fire and learning everything on the go. Um, and yeah, I can, I can relate to some of those moments too, in our, in our real estate business of like, okay, when does this rent going to come in? And when does this contractor need to get paid? And when does this refinance kind of like, it is so much mental gymnastics and financial gymnastics and, yeah, it's, it's a lot. Entrepreneurship is hard. So I really, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Yeah, and then you get your friends saying, well, I guess you do it for the tax deductions. What? What? Yeah, that's, that's why I'm here. It's the tax deductions. <laughs> well, it's not for the sleep, let's say that. It's not for the peace of mind or the sleep in the beginning, that's for sure. Totally. And, and you know, the, the funny part is, you know, if you were a doctor or a lawyer, your friends wouldn't come up to you and say, oh, you're a doctor? Well, I should get into that game. But if you're an entrepreneur, your friends think it's acceptable to come up and say, oh, you've been really successful in real estate. How do I get into that? Mm. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's just that easy, right? Like it's that easy. It doesn't involve sleepless nights. It doesn't involve a lot of risk. It doesn't involve any of those things. Yeah, I, I did it. So everybody must be able to do it. And you must be able to just step into it. There's, I mean, there's such a balance there, right? Because, and I wonder how much of it is, uh, I work with a lot of women. A lot of women just count themselves out before they've even tried. You know, a lot of women also are just like, like I, I can't even tell how many people are like, oh, I wish I could do that. And I'm like, well, you could, we didn't start with, and just like, you didn't start with 60 or, you know, you didn't start with all the whole Mr. Mike's chain. You started with one A&W and you learned that and you figured that out and then, and then you grow and you go step by step. And so I think it's like, both of those things are true. Like anyone can do it. 
And also here's the reality. Like, are you sure you want to? <laughs> it's the easy part and the hard part, right? Because everybody sees success and says, well, I, how do I step into the success end? Mm-hmm. Not how do I step into the really early hard work, high risk end? So I, I think you're absolutely right. Everybody can step into the hard work, high risk end. It's uh, no less people want to do that. Uh, and, and it is, right? The, re- the, the reason entrepreneurs can make good money is that we take a bunch of risk and by and large, we work our asses off for some amount of time, right? You know, and obviously we do it for reasons of lifestyle and being able to create more time for ourselves and all of those things. But at the beginning, I, I don't know anybody who's gone into business for themselves where they didn't take risks that others thought they shouldn't uh, and worked harder than others thought they should. Mm. And, and I think if there's a gating item, the, the gating item is an unwillingness to do one of those two things. And that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that, right? Like we're all at different stages of our life. We all have different risk tolerance. We all have different things going on in our life. Um, you know, and I was blessed. I started in business for myself when I was in my early 20s. I had nothing to lose, right? I had no kids, no family, nothing to lose. I, I don't, you know, and now I sit here with four kids. I, I don't know if I could take the same chances again. So if I had a, you know, the mid-management executive job today, God forbid, um, you know, I don't know if I could walk away from that with, you know, a mortgage and four kids and a spouse, you know, who stays at home with my kids, you know, our kids. So, you, you know, I think there's that, you know, the, the myth that any, you know, what, what's that old expression? You know, not any, everybody can do it, but not anybody can do it or anybody can do it, but not everybody can do it. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's true. Um, but I, I, I think they have, you, you have to have a willingness to take risk that others aren't prepared to take. And that's not just necessarily a capital risk. It can be a risk of putting yourself out there, a risk of failure, a risk of signing a lease, all of those things, uh, a risk of taking time away from your family, from your kids, uh, uh, you know, all of those things, a risk of doing things you people tell you not to do and you don't want to be embarrassed to go back to them a year later and say, hey, you were right and I was wrong. Uh, but there's that risk and, you know, I, I've got a lifestyle and I don't want to give that up and have to work nights, weekends, whatever it is that you have to do. Yeah. I really, I think that's so, um, so powerful. And it's, it's just interesting. Like the risk, you know, everybody's at different places. And I, I see so many people use the same excuses, like at many parts of their life. Like you're either, I, I feel like some of the same people that I saw at the age of 20 saying they didn't want to start a business because they wanted to like, you know, get some money or get some experience and weren't willing to take the risk, even though they had nothing to lose when they become later in life, they then it becomes hard to also leave because now you do have a mortgage and you do have kids and you do have that. Right. And so it's so interesting. Like, I think sometimes, um, our excuses, like we can hold on to those and they can just morph into like the next evolution of it. Um, so, you know, I think, yes, it can be easier to do it when you're 20, but I think also it still takes courage because I know a lot of people and even myself included, I went into corporate and I also did it a bit for love and some other reasons too, but I think it's really easy. Um, and I hear a lot of people and coach a lot of people that, um, that they're in the beginning stages and because they don't have anything to lose, they don't, they don't have anything to any reason to risk either. So I just, you know, I, I think your courage is still, um, it's still really honorable and it still says something at any point at any stage that you can break. Cause it's hard at any stage and there are excuses to do it or, or reasons to do it and reasons not to do it at every phase and every stage in the game. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that uh, 
the people around you tend to want to give you the reasons not to rather than the reasons to. Uh, you know, most, most people want you to lead the life that they lead, right? So if, if your friend's circle is a lot of people who have, you know, good day jobs, um, then they're going to suggest to you that you should also have a good day job. And when you say to your friends, well, I'm thinking of going into business for myself, I think you need to find people who are in business for themselves to at least counterbalance the other voices. Uh, and if you come from a family of, you know, your parents were self-employed, then I think that's easier. But if you come from a family where your parents, you know, had day jobs and all your friends have day jobs and everybody, you know, has day job, who, who's going to counsel you to, do, to not do that, right? You, you need to create a network of people who are doing what you want to do, or at least part of a network so that you've got both, both voices going in your brain, not just the one. Because uh, I'd say, you know, early in my career, all I had was the voice of no, and it's well-intentioned. So, you know, it's not those people aren't trying to hold you back or do you, those people just don't have a vision that you have, right? They, they, they see the world through their own eyes and their own eyes tell them it's really important that I plan for my pension. Um, and, and again, nothing wrong with that. But if, if you have a different view of the world and you want to create a different life for yourself, I'm, I'm not sure surrounding yourself with people who have a a different life from the one you want is going to help you in that part of the journey. Again, no judgment, just, you know, you need different voices. And so if, you, if entrepreneurship is something interesting to you, go and talk to a bunch of them right? yeah. and, and ask the good and the bad, right? What, what, you know, you did this X number of years ago. Tell me what you've loved about it. Tell me what you've hated about it. Tell me what you'd do differently if you had your time over again. And was it worth it? So what would, what would you tell someone who asked you that question? You know, what would you do differently and was it worth it? Uh, so it was worth it hundred percent. And I, and I don't know a lot of entrepreneurs who would tell you it wasn't, um, you know, as I think, just as I was speaking, I was thinking, well, do I actually know anybody who's an entrepreneur who would have said it wasn't worth it? And I can think of one. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was somebody who shouldn't have gone into business for themselves, but, you know, they weren't really, they, they were doing it for lifestyle reasons and, you do have to be economically driven to be in business. Absolutely, the, there are lifestyle benefits, but you have to want to win the equation of revenue over expense, right? Like you have to want to win that. You need more revenue than you have expense at some point. And if you don't want to fight that and win it, business isn't the right place. If what you're saying is, well, as long as revenue sort of covers expenses and I get Sundays off, then I'm okay. You're focused on the wrong thing. You have to be focused on that revenue over win, win, win um, to be successful. So I, I tell you, me, like I think every entrepreneur would say, couldn't do it differently if I had my time over again, could not go back to working for somebody else unless God, you know, unless the bottom fell out of the world and I had to, uh, I, I couldn't do it. Like the thought of filling in a vacation request form uh, just gives me hives, right? Like what, I got to talk to somebody about stuff like that? Like I just couldn't do that. Uh, you couldn't fill in an expense report. Like I... You know, the thought of somebody get telling me when to show up for work is like, I, like yeah, none of that would work for me. Um, the, the big thing, if I had my time over again, would be, so I spent my, I, I went into business myself in my early 20s. The business really grew uh, in my early 30s. So we went, you know, sort of from 10 million in annual revenue to 60, 70, 80, you know, in the space of a couple of years by acquisition. And the wheels fell off the bus, right? Like that's, it, you know, my bio tells you that, oh, it grew from X to Y in three years. Well, that, that sounds lovely. The reality was I was on the road 250 days a year. 
uh, and not in Paris, London, and New York. I was in Cranbrook, and what you and I talked about Fort McMurray earlier, and Fort McMurray, and all great places, but not easy to get to. There's no Four Seasons Hotel there, um, you know, and your menu options are limited, and your exercise options are limited, and uh, you, you know, I'd say that that growth over that time cost it cost me a marriage. Um, it cost me my health. I was 245 pounds of unhealthy eating badly, drinking too much, and not doing little exercise, doing zero exercise. Uh, and I didn't need to do that. Um, the, the business could have grown equally as well without me being part of absolutely everything. But I didn't know enough to know what I could delegate, who I should delegate it to, and that I needed to hire better and more capable people all the time. So those would be my sort of three big ones of, you know, you need to find, as you're growing, you need to find better and more capable people. Those people who started the journey with you, not all of them are going to make the entire journey with you. Uh, you need to, if, if you can't give up what you're doing, you have the wrong team around you, right? So the minute you say to yourself, if I don't go, or if I'm not there, then you have the wrong team around you. Uh, and, and you do have to lead a balanced life. So it doesn't have to be balanced every day, right? And everybody talks about life. life balance wasn't a thing 20 years ago. It's a thing now. And everybody has this view of life balance, perfectly appropriate. I, I tell you, as an entrepreneur, you can't track your life balance daily. You have to track your life balance over some longer period of time than, than a day. I, and I don't know what it is. I think everybody's going to have a different answer to that question. But it's, it's a longer period of time, but it can't be over a decade. You know what I mean, you can't say I'm going to have five bad years in order to have five good years because that doesn't work. And that's what I did. I thought, you know what, I'm going to suck it up for four or five years and then it'll be fine. Uh, it was not because even at the end of the five, you don't have the right team around you. You're unhealthy. You're overweight. You, you know, you've lost relationships, be it friends, spouses, kid, whatever relationship you've lost those relationships. And they don't come back like that because you've decided to reverse your balance. Mm. So how do you do business differently now? Because I mean, those are lessons. I'm sorry you had to learn those the hard way. And yeah. thanks for thanks for being real. Like, how do you how do you rebuild from with those lessons? Because you got no choice but to do it differently, right? Yeah. So I I think the the finding the right people at every stage of your journey, and whether that is you know with the, from the first person you hire to the ten thousandth person you hire, you do that intentionally and you do it forward looking. So how will this person not just make the business better and stronger, but how will this person sort of fit my life vision for how I want to interact with the business? So if your view of the business is I need to be part of it X number of hours a week or X number of weeks a year, then you need to hire people that support that vision for it, uh, which means you may need to pay more. It means, you know, you may not make as much, whatever it means. You, you've got, there's a, there's a give and take for that balance. And I remember reading about it, it was a fairly decent sized bakery baking company in the US where the founders decided that they were going to work a thousand hours a year which was meant they could work you know 20 hours a week 50 weeks a year or it meant if they'd blown their hours by June I guess they were taking the rest of the year off and they said the first year that's what happened they got to like July and went oh no we've hit our thousand hours but we want to be true to this right like true to the reason we went into business for ourselves so we better scramble, find the right people, put them in place because we're off until January 1st. 
Oh my gosh, that's so cool. A totally extreme example may not work, won't work for everybody. But that that idea that the business is a bit in service of the founder and and the owner, rather than the owner is in service of the business, if that makes sense. So, you know, it's perfectly fine if you say to yourself, I want to have a retail store on the corner of the street that I live on because I want to be able to walk and I want to, I don't want to work past five o'clock. So the doors are going to shut at five and I don't want to get up by before eight. So the doors are going to open at nine. Uh, as long as you can make a living doing that and it's enough money for what you need, that's, you don't need the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth store and an online store and sell on Shopify. And you, you don't have to do that. That's somebody else's dream. If your dream is I need to make X dollars working nine to five and I don't want to work for somebody else, that's okay. You just have to find something that does that for you. And it's okay to do that. And it's okay to say, I don't want to grow it. I want it like this. I mean, thank you, Yuri. You just like summed up all the previous episodes of my podcast right there. Like build a life that you want to build, not other people's. Yeah. So, so true. And like, I wish, I wish we learned that in school too. You know, like how much does it actually look to and cost for you to live the life you want to live and what kind of a career or business does it look like to create that? And what kind of hours do you want to be working? What's the lifestyle you want to have? I wish those were things that, uh, that we learned in, in school. I mean, I guess that's why I have a business now. So I'm grateful that we don't learn those things, but, uh, <laughs> it would be better, better if I feel like we learned that young, earlier in life to do it for us. Yeah. And I think we've got to do it honestly with ourselves, right? So it's, you know, you don't have to put this on a billboard or create a website that says it. Uh, but, you know, as Canadians, we're not big thinkers. We're modest uh, and we're conservative. So we think that, you know, if we make more than a school teacher, that somehow we're stealing money from the community. Um, you know, so we, we we tend not to say, the real number of what we need to live the life we want to lead. Mm. And uh, it's okay for that number to be big, right? It's okay for you to say that, you know, my, my number is X dollars a year, right? Like I want one, two, three, four million dollars a year. That's the life I want to lead. Yeah. yeah. I think it, I, I love that. I, I think we, you're right. Like I have only lived in Canada, so I can't speak to other other countries. Um, but I definitely, I feel like there's so much shame and guilt around how much money we make, how much money we want to make, how much money we spend or keep, or all, all of those pieces. And um, I just, I, I wish everyone, I hope, and hopefully, I think listening, this is pretty inspiring for me. I'm sure everyone listening agrees. You know, I, we want you to be able to listen to this and then walk away and really reflect and allow yourself to say, I want that amount of money. That's the light. That's what my lifestyle costs. And it's okay. And it's going to be amazing. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you get it next week, right? Like there's no light switch where you decide <laughs> I want a million bucks a year and okay, where's my $3 million a year business? And why isn't it here tomorrow? Oh, I know, um, but that would be yeah, nice, wouldn't it? Yeah, wouldn't it be nice? <laughs> but if that's your aspirational goal, you know, and your friends say, oh, that's a lot of money. Like what, what makes you think you're entitled to that? Well, you know, of that, I'm going to pay 53% in tax. So that you know, I'm going to contribute to the community in that way. You know, here's the charitable endeavors I'm going to support when I have that amount of money. Here's the number of people I'm going to be employing when I make that who are all going to be able to go home and support their families in turn and pay their taxes in turn and make their charitable contributions in turn and volunteer in their communities in turn. You know, we forget, we forget those pieces of this, right? It's you, you know, entrepreneurs, their money doesn't fall out of the sky, right? It doesn't, it just materialize. It comes through 
the work that they do and the teams that they build and the community that they build around that. So, you know, sure, there are entrepreneurs who don't treat people well and don't pay people fairly and don't follow the rules. And that's true in every profession as well, right? There, there are always bad seeds in everything. Um, you know, entrepreneurs have got a bad rap uh, for, you know, back to, you know, tax deductions and, oh, you know, you're headquartered in Bermuda. No, I'm not headquartered in Bermuda, you know. I'm headquartered right, I'm sitting today, I'm blessed to be on the traditional territory of the Coast Salish people, um, you know, headquartered in Vancouver, paying Canadian taxes and provincial taxes and municipal taxes and sales taxes and making donations to the community and volunteering in the community. And that, that would be most entrepreneurs' story. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, that's so fantastic. Thank you for saying that. I, you know, I love, um, I think that most, most people, when you, when we, good people have money, we make more good in the world. So that's definitely one of the things that I, that I believe in that I, you know, we, that's why we talk about money on the podcast. That's why, you know, your story, your, and, and your perspective around money is so welcome here. So thank you for sharing that. Thank you for paying all those taxes and contributing to our community and making jobs. And, and I know donating both your, uh, your money and your time to making the community a better place. And I think uh, if we could get more money into the hands of people who, who we are going to do good, that's how we actually change the world and make it better. Great. I believe that. Um, I'm curious, you mentioned, you know, when you first started out, you got a lot of no's. Now that you are and you kind of had to ignore them. Now that you are, you know, 25 years into your entrepreneurship journey, um, a lot of awards, a lot of success, a lot of a lot of accolades. Do you still get no's, or do you now have the opposite problem where everybody's saying yes? No, it's still more no's than yeses. Yeah, it, it's it's human nature. It's uh, it's so. I mean, whether I go to you know friends and say, hey, I'm looking to invest in this thing, uh, more, more people would say what more people would come up with the reasons you shouldn't than the reasons you should. Mm. Uh, and you got to remember that there's zero risk in saying no, right? Because if you say no and you don't, well, you'll never know whether, like there's zero risk in that. The risk is in saying yes, right? Do that because that can fail. No can't fail. All no can do is not achieve, but it can't fail. So anybody who gives you no advice is not really taking any risk. Um, and I'd say, you know, back to, again, you've got to surround yourself, not with people who say yes unreservedly and, and un, unintentionally, but you've got to have that balance of people in your life who, you know, you do need the voice of caution. And we've all got that group of friends and family members who we know we go to when you, you know, who are just more cautious by nature and are good at pointing out the, the risks in anything. But there's got to be, there's got to be other voices in your life, Right. There's got to be the voice of saying, you know what, that's actually a really neat idea, or that's a that's a cool path, or what do you have to lose, or why wouldn't you chase that dream, or why wouldn't you try that? And so when it doesn't work out, where would you be if it didn't work out, right? Like, is this a fatal decision, or is this just a decision that would be a little bit of a setback if it didn't work out? And how does that play out? Um, you know, I, I did an interview for the Globe and Mail that, that got a lot of positive response, and it was stop listening to the voice of no. Mm -hmm. right, that we, we surround ourselves with the voice of no. Yeah, that's so powerful. I love that. You, one of the things I think is really unique. Well, I mean, one of the things that's really amazing about you is that you consciously try to create good with your business. And I know that's a really big part of what you, why you do what you do. Why is like, why is that so important to you? Cause you probably could just be, have your business headquartered in Bermuda, live on the beach, 
do that? Like why, why continue to do good? Why continue to keep going? Yeah. So I actually don't think you have a choice. Like I, I, I think if you profit from the community, you have an obligation to that community and, and define community. However, it makes sense for you, whether that's your city or whether that's your, uh, you know, your province or your country or, you know, whatever, whatever that, that definition is for you. Um, you have an obligation back to that community. Paying taxes is absolutely part of that obligation. So, you, you know, to, to say that entrepreneurs who don't give money to charity don't do anything, well, they pay their taxes. And in our democracy, that is the requirement you have, right? It's nothing in, you know, nobody's mandated to give money to charity, right? Whether you make a bajillion dollars or you make $10, nobody's mandated to give money to charity. Um, you're mandated to pay your taxes. Your taxes, in theory, should you know, support the social network that is our, our democracy. If you do more than that, that's a positive. Uh, and, you know, to, to impose what other people should do, you know, sort of is a lack of insight into their situation, right? Like, it's very easy to look at the richest people and say they should do more. You know, nobody wants somebody to come to their door and tell them what more they should do, right? Like, no matter what you make, you don't need to knock on the door to say you're not doing enough, you should do more. So, you know, everybody has to evaluate their own situation and say, you know, here's the things I have in my life and maybe I'll, I can do more when the kids are growing up or maybe I can do more when whatever, whatever you know, changes in my life. But I think you have an obligation to support people who didn't have the opportunities you did. And that's both support financially and it's to support with your time and to support it with uh, your volunteerism and support it with, you know, you're rallying the other community to do the same. So I think you actually have an obligation to do that to the extent you're able to. Yeah. So there's no there's no quota system. It's to the extent you are able to, a bit like life balance, it's going to be different every week and month and year and decade into what you can do, you know, in, in all of those categories. You know, when you've got little kids at home, you're not going to be able to volunteer as much, but maybe you're able to give a little bit more. When your kids are grown up, maybe you can both give and volunteer a little bit more. Maybe when you're early in your business, you can't give, but you can volunteer. You know, you maybe super early in your business, you can't do any of it. And you sort of have to say, I'm going to save that, right? There's going to be a few years I can't do much at all. And I'm going to have to recognize that later that I missed a couple of years and I'm going to want to pay that back somehow. So, uh, I, you know, I think that's to all of us to examine, you know, on our own time frame whether we're doing as much as we can. Hmm. And, and can is not do everything. It's you've got to, you've got to be your own judge of that. Hmm. What a, what a beautiful invitation for everybody listening to, to remind us all to check in, you know, how am I showing up for that? Am I doing what I can? Am I doing what, what feels right for my capacity in this season of life? Um, and to just, to give others the grace to do the same and, and assume best intentions for other people as well. And to be honest with yourself, I, I, I I'm going to get these numbers wrong. So I don't actually remember the exact numbers, but I think it's something like 92% of Canadians when asked claim to give money to charity. But if you look at the number of personal tax returns that include a charitable donation, it's something like 40%. So, and again, I might have those numbers wrong. So, you know, please don't bombard my inbox if I've got them wrong. But all to say that there's a sizable difference between what people think they do or report they do and what they actually do. Now, fair enough, people could buy Girl Guide cookies and think that that's a charitable contribution or, you know, and that they didn't get a tax receipt for it. So fair enough, or they just- Or you round up at the, at the grocery store and- Yeah, they, they yeah. gave 50 bucks and they've lost the tax receipt. So there's bound to be some of that, totally get that. But, you know, if it's a meaningful amount, 
to you, it's, you're going to get a tax receipt for it and you're going to claim it. So what we're saying is there's a disconnect between what people claim to be doing or wish they were doing and what they're actually doing. So all I'd say, you know, just, you know, have that honest conversation with yourself as to whether you're doing as much as you feel you can. You know, same with volunteerism. If, if your idea of volunteerism is dragging your kids to the food bank on Christmas Eve so that you can remind them how well off they are, I'm not sure I count that as volunteerism. You know, yeah. I'm sure the food bank doesn't need more volunteers on Christmas Eve. They need more volunteers on a rainy Tuesday in February, right? So just mm -hmm. make sure, you know, have that truth check with yourself that I'm doing everything that I think I can. And it's real. So good. That's amazing advice. Thank you. Um, okay. I got a couple more questions and then we're shifting gears here into private equity and venture capitalism. But before we do, I, you said something that is like a little bit spicy, but I want to, I want to, you know, dive in here. Um, and you talked about how like you don't think that our system sets us up enough for entrepreneurship or, you know, wherever else, wherever else you want to take that. But I'm just curious, like what changes would you want to see in our, you know, whether it's financial, educational, other systems or institutions to maybe encourage people to do entrepreneurship or, or just make the world a better place? What do you think that looks like? Yeah, so I think it started. Um, and bless their hearts at the CBC. I think Dragon's Den was a major shift in how we view entrepreneurship. And it spawned Shark Tank. And I know, you know, in the US, and I know there's a similar show in the UK. This was actually the CBC. Canada was at the forefront of this, right? We actually sparked this thing by creating a reality show that was about being an entrepreneur. And it was about the tough end of being an entrepreneur, right? If you're pitching on Dragon's Den, you don't have a bajillion dollar business, right? Like you're coming in at the tough end where you put everything you've got into the business. Um, you know, and I mean, the environment on Dragon's Den is a bit you know, not quite real, but do you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. They actually showcased entrepreneurs. They showcased what it takes to be an entrepreneur and bless their hearts. They made a conversation at people's homes and around the water cooler about, did you see last night this, you know, and for a while, Dragon's Den was more popular than Hockey Night in Canada. It was CBC's biggest property. Um, so, you know, like that, that's a, a big step in the right direction in making it acceptable to be an entrepreneur. Right. Like now, what they made acceptable was being a very small entrepreneur and in the early stage of being, you know, the the next piece is when is it acceptable to be successful? Mm. And you know, when as when as Canadians are we going to say to ourselves, it's okay that somebody was successful, it's okay that they did very well, and we're not going to judge the, you know, we're not going to stand in judgment, but we're actually going to celebrate the fact some Canadians have done really well. Yeah, Canada's biggest company is no longer the Royal Bank, the Shopify, right? That was created by Canadians. It is Canada's biggest market cap. Now, it might not be this morning, but it, the, the point still <laughs> remains, right? Like that was created by Canadians in our lifetime. It's not a hundred, you know, hundreds of year old venerable business that, but it's a business used by people around the world. It was started in Canada by Canadians. It's headquartered in Canada. Like, when are we going to celebrate stuff like that? Like, when are we going to pat ourselves on the back as Canadians and say to those people that started it, good for you, like, good on you, right? Like, well done. Thank you for keeping it in Canada. Thank you for paying your taxes in Canada. It's great that you're billionaires. Yeah. Yeah. Playing Canadians, 
You're making us proud. And the fact that you've got billions of dollars, good for you. Uh, I mean, I think we could all we get at that, right? Not, yeah. and I wonder if they gave money to charity and I wonder what house they live in. And I bet you they're burning fossil fuels in a supia. Can we just not leave it as good for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And be inspired by that and be excited for people. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, just I like a little, a little more humility, a little less judgment, I think would just take us a long way in our, in our country, in our world. Yeah. Cause we can't build big businesses that break even right? It doesn't work that way, right? If you have a couple of billion dollars in revenue, you can't have a couple of billion dollars minus a thousand in expenses and be sustainable. So for a big business to thrive, it has to make a decent amount of money because that's the margin between success and failure, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it has to have a gap in there, right? And whether your business, like if, even if you have a small business, if you do 200,000 in revenue and you have 195,000 in expenses, you are $5,000 away from not making it, right? You can't do that. You can't run your business that way. You might be able to do it for a very short amount of time, but you can't do that for a long time. Mm-hmm. Same, you know, if you, you know, rent out a, buy a condo and rent it out, if the gap between your revenue and, exp- you just can't do it, right? It has to, has to grow, the gap grow, so the business is sustainable. And if you want to buy that second condo or third condo, the gap has to be bigger. So the money, you get the, you get the drift. So the same applies for big businesses. So the people who own them get the benefit of that big gap between revenue and expenses that hopefully grows over time and makes them wealthy. And it's the way of the world. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, ultimately some of those companies are publicly owned and they're owned by our pension funds and our government pensions and our private pensions and our union pensions. Yeah, um, we hold it in our RSPs, our TFSAs, our children's uh, education funds. Absolutely. I, yeah, there's, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and if you live in Canada, you, you, if you look at your RSP and it's Canadian assets, it would be comprised of Canada's biggest banks. Like that's just real. So complaining about service charges and how much money they make, well, who's they? The they is the owners of the bank, which is your RSPs and your RESPs and your mutual funds and all of those things. You are the owner of that. Yeah. And, and hopefully Shopify. I don't know. <laughs> so when CBC calls to say, we want to do a show on what entrepreneurial success looks like, would you do it? Sure. As long as it's real, mm. right. As long as it's not, uh, you know, no, as long as it's not private jets and swimming pools and, and, and that's the show, the show has to be that balance of, you know, here's what it takes. Here, here's what the risk is. Here's the failure rate. Um, here's this hard slog. Here's the determination needed. And he, here's some people who've done it and would do it all over again. Yeah, cool. That's the show, right? Here's the people who would do it all over again, notwithstanding it wasn't easy. Well, I would definitely tune into that. So let's hope that that, let's hope that, that happens. <laughs> um, so before we switch gears fully into private equity and venture capitalism, Tell me about what you're doing now. So you have this giant, like walk me through that transition. You have this big portfolio. You're on the road 240 days a year. Something's going to change. Like how did you get from there to where you are today in private equity? Yeah. So I I had a bit of a realization that I didn't want to run things anymore. Uh, I think I was not a great CEO. I I think I, you know, the things I think I'm okay at, I think I've got a bit of a sense of vision. I think I'm good at identifying people's talents. Um, 
you know, and I, I like to think about strategy and think about where things could be long term. But the day to day stuff, I really dis actively dislike. Um, and I would say the things that most employees deserve, like routine performance reviews, and I, I hate doing. Right? I, as an employee, I hated getting performance review. I've never sat in a performance review that I thought was, you know, a worthwhile exercise. So I hate doing stuff like that. And I totally get it. People deserve them. People should have them. So that means I need to opt out. So <laughs> I had a realization in my late 30s that I was not a great CEO, didn't enjoy the job either. Uh, and so, you know, you sit down and say to yourself, well, then, okay, if I'm not going to do that, then what am I going to do? Um, and somebody gave me this advice that I must have given hundreds of people since then, which is you make four lists, the list of things that I love and the list of things I hate, the list of things I rock at and the list of things I suck at. And then you take the things you hate and suck at and you set them aside and you take the list of things you love and the things you rock at and say, well, where's the job in these two lists, right? Those are the two lists. It's the same in business strategy. Business strategy is the confluence of opportunity and strength. It's not about weakness and threat, right? If you do a SWOT, you pick mm -hmm. your, what am I really good at? And where's the opportunity out there in the world? And I put what I'm good at against the opportunity in the world. And I'd say same advice to you know, anybody looking at an inflection point in their life. What am I good at? And what's the thing out in the world that uh, I could do? Ah, uh, so and brilliant. And you keep the other lists for, you keep the list of things you hate so that when you look at the next opportunity, you take that list of things you hate out and you say, are any of those things in this, this thing I'm looking at? And of course, there'll be one or two because nothing's perfect. But if you've got too many of them in there, that's bad. And then you take the list of things you suck at and say, how many of the things I suck at am I going to be required to do in this next thing? And if it's too many, you say, well, am I able to hire people to do that in this, whether it's my own business or my next job or whatever, am I able to hire people to do the things I suck at? If not, and I'm going to be forced to do the things I suck at, how much of my day is taken up doing that? So I'm not going to be successful if my day is largely things I suck at. Mm. That was the advice I got. I, so I still do those lists every couple of years. Love, hate, rock, suck. And, uh, you know, that's that created the next part of my life. So in my late 30s, uh, you know, I said I didn't want to be the active CEO anymore. Um, you know, the list of my things I thought I was okay at and liked was the strategic work, the working with teams, working with entrepreneurial leaders. And that became what we do today, which is uh, we have a bunch of businesses that we own almost all of. We only own them with members of the management team. Uh, so no outside investors, um, just us and members of the management team. And then we have a book, a venture capital book. So just over 20 companies we're invested in uh, of varying sizes, industries all over the place, all over the geographies, uh, some very early stage and some a bit more mature. Um, so that's that became the rest of my life. Didn't happen overnight. Sort of took another five, six years to get to where I sort of thought I was doing what I'd set out to do. Uh, but that was the genesis of it. The genesis was love, hate, rock, suck. So awesome. Oh, very cool. Um, I usually tell people to do like uh, things that I like make me forget to pee, eat and sleep. And the things that make me want to clean my baseboards. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so great. Cause like, yeah. And like, like, why are we teaching that in school? You know, why does everybody like, that's such a, it's such an important thing to do is to look at that. And I, I appreciate you saying that. And I love that you actually did it, that you do it. And Fulmer and co is now the, uh, I guess the manifestation of, of that, the love, love, hate, rock, suck. Yep. 
And here you are, Fulmer & Co., leading leading all these uh, businesses with their strategy, taking ownership, and uh, working in your love and rock zone. So it's very cool. Very cool. Okay, so we have a we're going to dive into private equity and venture capitalism because I know one of your passions is to uh, just help people understand what it is, how do we how do we get it, what is what are the trade offs, what are the pros, the cons, all that kind of stuff. Um, but we're not going to be able to do it all in one episode. So I'm going <laughs> to um, wrap this one up here. And thank you so much, Yuri, for sharing so much on your entrepreneurial journey, and not just that, but like just golden nuggets of life wisdom. And I think anyone listening, whether you're an entrepreneur, stay-at-home parent, uh, working your way up the corporate ladder, like these principles that you just shared are, they're success principles for life. Um, So thank you for being real. Thank you for sharing such amazing nuggets. Um, I can't wait to learn more on the next episode. Speaking of what we love and rock at and what makes us forget to eat, pee, and sleep, I will be honest, it was hard to leave this conversation to get up to pee and to take a water break. It was so juicy and I loved learning from Yuri and I hope you did too. Yuri was so generous with his time and a huge wealth of knowledge, so we've broken my conversation down with him into two episodes. I hope you enjoyed learning about Yuri's entrepreneurship journey, the highs, the lows, and the real talk. Whether you're building a 60,000, 60 million, or $60 billion company, or doing whatever's on your love and rock list in life, or you're still trying to create that, Yuri's advice, humility, and wisdom are great pillars for success in all aspects of life. In the next episode, I talk to Yuri about everything venture capitalism and private equity related. So if you are interested in learning more about that, you're going to love the next episode as well. You're going to learn about what private equity is, what venture capitalism is, what to consider if you're an entrepreneur looking for outside investment, what those trade-offs are, what Yuri's best tips are for pitching and fundraising, and a whole lot more. I have a big thank you to say to Yuri for his time and generosity and a big one to you too, my friend, for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a moment to share it with a friend you think would also enjoy. And go ahead, hop to the next episode to continue the conversation with Yuri Fulmer. Thank you so much for listening. If something spoke to you, send me a message by sharing this episode and tagging me on social media. If you know someone who would love to hear this episode, please share it with them too. Because I love surprises, make sure you subscribe to the Golden Girls podcast today. It's the only way to find out about bonus surprise episodes and make sure you don't miss a single beat on your golden journey. Thanks again for listening and I will talk to you in the next episode of the Golden Girls podcast.